We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Fancy Football Podcast for Wednesday, August 28th. I'm Jeff Erickson. My co-host today is none other than Chris Harris from Harris Football. Uh, if you've been on the on YouTube watching his uh, films already, some really good stuff watching his film work there, catching his podcast, catch him at harrisfootball.com as well. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's like a home and home. You were on yep. my show uh, on Monday and I do five podcasts a week and somehow we found a time when it works for both of us to come on each other's show. Exactly. Now, if we can only work a time to play golf, well, we could, but baby steps, Uh, at least we're moving in the right direction there. Hey, on Monday, when I did your show, uh, you asked me about five players that I like just because of the skills, maybe not even because of the role. And Matt Breida came up. 
And of course, we have news that might affect him uh, now. Uh, there was a setback with Jarek McKinnon trying to return from his knee injury practice yesterday and had a setback. It doesn't look good. Uh, hasn't been a roster move yet, but I, I'm hearing the rumblings of an IR move. And of course, that's going to affect Breida's draft stock as well as Tevin Coleman's. It is. I mean... Is it, it, it feels like that's baked in though. D- didn't we basically think this, I, I was actually surprised to hear that he was returning to practice at all, given how negative the reports that they'd already been talking about IR. Somebody had already leaked that mm-hmm. as a possibility. It certainly felt to me like it was already baked in to the, the relative ranks of Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida. Maybe this like somehow brings it attention here in the last draft weekend. I think it's going to, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was just oh, going to say where people start to realize wow, we have these guys way too far apart, which was your point on the show, on my show, which I completely agree with. Yeah. And, and I watched your video on the five bus, uh, where you talked about Tevin Coleman and that you really think that breed is equal to Coleman and shouldn't, there shouldn't be that massive gap. Uh, and I, I agree with you. And one of the things that you like to point out, and we're going to get to this a little bit more, but you like to, you know, hone in on the player's actual skill and not just the situation. Yeah, that's my that's my shtick. I mean, it's been since the ESPN days when I it's it was a lot harder to do that job before there was a way to watch these games online. That's for sure. It was much harder in the ESPN days previously. But I was at ESPN for eight years and there was a part like there towards the end where it was like, oh, cool. I can no longer like ask my friends to who have who have the, the ticket to DVR these games so I can watch them. Now I can just, you know, do them all from home. But I do every that's the whole thing about my show. Once the season starts is I will report, I will watch every single game and then Mondays and Tuesdays, just talk about each game and who looked like what. And, um, yeah, all the, you know, situations matter. Right. They, of course, situations matter. We're just don't, we're not great at predicting them beforehand. And we come up with a lot of reasons that I think sometimes are true, but sometimes aren't true. Like Tevin Coleman, really great history with Kyle Shanahan. Therefore it's guaranteed that he's the one who carries the mail. And I go, okay, except for, I think Matt Breida played for Kyle Shanahan last year in San Francisco. Um, the money got spent. They wouldn't spend that kind of money if they weren't going to, well, it happens all the time that people sign for agents that don't use them. Um, so whatever, I mean, we'll get to all that stuff, but but in the case of the 49ers backfield, I do. I don't think Tevin Coleman's a terrible player, but he's kind of very. You want to keep him in his lane. He's sort of is a very specific kind of player, very upright runner, very fast. Once he gets a long runway, not a lot of vision, not a lot of lateral agility. And I think Breda is fast and quick and tiny and probably used in moderation could be as good, if not better than Coleman. Right. And I, I think your instinct right, is right though, that people are realizing the gap is t- way too far apart and it will narrow. I just think that McKinnon, yeah. And the McKinnon setback highlights that. Plus we also saw Brita on Saturday against the chiefs actually look like he's a component hundred percent healthy. Cause let's face it. One of the big drags on Brita is can he stay on the field? That's really only based off of last year though. It's not really based off of what he did in college where he was pretty durable actually. And not getting hit by 250 pound monsters who can run True. like four, five, forty. Uh, you know, I'm always somewhat. I, I wouldn't want Matt Breda to be the feature back in San Francisco, who's 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 on pace for 250 touches. I don't think that's who he is. Um, give me give me 175, and then Tevin Coleman 175, and we can cobble something nice together. And plus, they sort of do complementary things. It's funny because Breda probably runs outside zone a little better than Tevin Coleman, to be honest, the kind of the bread and butter of the Shanahan system. I don't know that I think Coleman sees it all that well. He, once he breaks into the clear, he's real fast and he's a bigger guy to, to bring down. So he can give you some longer plays, but you can also get a lot of negative plays. That's right. 
That's absolutely right. And that might be uh, what uh, that evol- that that same sort of share might evolve, where you might flip-flop roles, where Coleman is the change of pace guy that comes in later. Uh, and it may not even, it may not take that long into the season to see that happen too. So you know, I, I, I think we both like Brita a lot for the price. That, that is for sure. And don't like the Coleman price. Although we'll see, I, I haven't seen that go up at all. I don't think it will based on off this. Just, I think like you said, it's baked in, uh, one of the hardest things we have to do as fantasy analysts now is analyze things that aren't on the field that aren't on film holdouts, suspensions, things of that nature. And it's so annoying, but it's still there. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. And in the case of both Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon, we kind of had notes on them today. I don't know if they rises to the level of news, but we saw comments at least uh, discussing that. Let's start uh, with Ezekiel Elliott first. Uh, The discussion, the the comment from uh, Jerry Jones was, we want Zeke to get, when we get to the playoffs, we we want Zeke when we're in the dog days of the season, it's a marathon here. It's kind of in contrast to what his son, Stephen Jones said last week when they're saying, they think they're close to reaching agreement before week one. This could just be noise. It's hard to read the tea leaves sometimes. What's your take on this situation? It's noise. I just, it, I mean, well, okay. So I treat it all like noise because while some of it might be signal, there's so much of it that 90% mm-hmm. of it is noise and you just don't know what to believe day by day. There, it, it comes across from the media monolith as though it's one voice speaking when of course it's not, it's uh, one reporter who's friends with Jerry Jones and then one reporter who's has it in kind of good in with Stephen Jones. Right. And they kind of are judging the facial expressions or in Jerry's case, the lack of facial expressions <laughs> uh, where, where, you know, they're, they're editorializing about how likely. And, and then of course, at the same time, the team and the player camp, have incentive to do some negotiation through the media and make the other side seem like they're being unreasonable and put public pressure on the other side. In the end, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what to do with it. It feels like we might be making exactly the same mistake with Zeke that we did with Le'Veon Bell. The only difference being because they're both first round picks and the only difference really being at least Zeke is under contract. You know, Le'Veon wasn't technically under contract. And as it turned out, although it would have been nice to know this, during the early parts of 2018. But as it turned out, Bell and his people had found a loophole in the franchise tag agreement that said, you don't, you don't actually have to play a single snap to get from year two to year three in the franchise tag and make a ridiculous amount of money. Whereas Zeke is not holding out for free agency. Zeke is holding out for a contract. There's a pretty big difference. He doesn't doesn't care that he's service time. He doesn't care. We'll talk about Gordon in a second. I might debate that Gordon cares about service time, but I really don't think Zeke does. Um, I'm still ranking him in the first round. I didn't, you know, for a while there I had him at number two and now it's more like in a PPR number six, number seven, maybe a little higher than that in standard. Um, but it's a faith act. I mean, you're, you're just hoping that if you're, if you're a Zeke drafter who doesn't get the signing in the next 10 days, you're hoping the Cowboys look so bad in week one that right. just like in the Emmett Smith days, way back, exactly. in, way back in the day where it just, they don't have a choice. Or like during Zeke's suspension, uh, for that matter, right. too. Uh, that, you know, all this brave talk uh, that the replacement will be better and or not better, I should say, but they should be fine. Uh, it just turns out that's not the case. So uh, that that's the be- that's the upside for him. I've only been put to the test on this once. I opted against it. And, I, you know, other other almost every other draft I've been drafting late uh, or I've what bat- spot where you what spot did you sorry to interrupt. But what spot were you where you had to make the choice? Nine. Believe it or not. Oh, really? He lasted a while. I declined, and I took Nick Chubb instead. So I, I might that might be part of my I'm pretty high on Nick Chubb factor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I also, I just, I am so ruthlessly paranoid about the first round, though. I, I don't want any baked in already, because bad things are going to happen during the season, right? I've, why introduce another error? That, that's usually the approach. Uh, when you already have this known factor that he may not play week one, as later it gets, even if he signs, well, today he, he still plays week one. If he signs on Thursday next week, he probably doesn't play week one. You're missing a game already. Maybe one game's no big deal. Uh, but I, I just, there's, the replacement value is so high, I'd rather not miss on that. Uh, yeah. I mean, and yet the reward is so high at pick nine and to get true. a league winning player. It's just, it comes down to each individual drafters own tolerance for risk and ability to shrug it off. If it doesn't go in your favor, um, like anybody who took Le'Veon Bell or in the first few picks last year is not going to take Zeke Elliott this year. Cause it just was no fun, but that's right. It can a hundred percent work out. And it's funny. So, I mean, anecdotally, I'll give you, uh, so I was doing, there's a CBS IDP league that we do every year that we play out. That's like, it's a super deep IDP, like nine defensive players start in that league. And I I've never won that league and I would like to, and it's a random, it's, it's a redraft and it's a random order. And I log in and I find out that I'm two. This is last, this is like 10 days ago or so. Okay. And I'm, I'm picking two. And at this point I still had Zeke two in my, even in my PPR ranks, I think. And I'm sitting there five minutes before the draft going, this is really putting it to the test. I mean, geez, Jeff is thinking I'm not going to take him at nine. Here we are at two. And I realized at that moment I have to change my ranks because I don't think I can do it. Right. I don't think I, I don't think I can live up to my own ranks. And then I can't remember who it was who picked before me, but they picked Christian McCaffrey. And I was like, oh, you just took me off the hook. Yes, yes. <laughs> Barkley, hello. <laughs> I got Barkley at two, but I did wind up lowering Elliott a bit in my ranks. And that happens all the time. I, and I do baseball and football both. And with baseball in particular, I, I'm in charge of all the projections, the ranks, dollar values, you name it. Anytime you get you see that you, your first couple of drafts, your first couple of auctions, you see a guy hanging around, you see a guy that it doesn't go for the price that you have them for. And yet you're not the, and it's like five, $6 below and you're not plus wanting that. Okay. Well, we need to reassess because let's face it. <laughs> our, our entire job is to tell people what we would do. Uh, yeah. And if, if you can't live and if you don't follow your own there, your own special sauce there, then your sauce needs to change. Yeah. I think if I'm picking three in a completely standard draft right now, I think I t- still take Zeke. I have that level of confidence that these, you know, this, this one locomotive of stupid and this other locomotive of idiot smashing towards each other at 500 miles an hour are somehow going to veer off before they do something ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, if it doesn't happen this weekend, it does make me look bad. Yeah. By the way, in that same draft, he went to 11. The team behind me also declined that option. And he, instead he went, then team 11 went Zeke and Gurley, which I thought was like the ultimate upside play. Now it's the NFFC. Right. So it's a national contest too. So and he took some later risks. He took AJ Green. He took Josh Gordon. Piled risk upon risk. It, it's it's a big swing. I kind of respect it. it. <laughs> I kind of. This is funny. You say I kind of respect it in a way that indicates you don't really respect it. But no, I, I, I respect mean, it, yeah. but I won't do it. How about that? Right, right, right. No, I get it. Um, in a PPR, I think I have Zeke seven. Uh, so I have some receivers in front of him, basically, and McCaffrey, who I have below him in a standard, I have him ahead of him in a PPR. I I get it. I get. I think it's totally rational that the number ten person didn't take him in your draft. It's totally yeah. rational. I get it. I get why someone would and get why someone wouldn't. And it's just it's it's doing it in, in the dark. Right. Right. And it's just it seems like to me this is going to happen more often too. 
I, or it's going to continue to happen because the way the NFL values running backs or has devalued the running back position in recent times, I, I and the way that it's the rookie players, wage scale. Yeah, what the rookie wage scale. It is the yeah. rookie wage scale. I mean, exactly. I don't think that uh, I think rookie running backs on their first contract are actually valued rather highly. The problem is the moment they start to wear down is the moment they want to get paid. And that's, that's where you have the real, I think that's one of the huge, not to veer off into labor issues, but that's going to be one of the huge strike averting questions is running backs just are not compensated fairly for how their careers go. Exactly right. And it's definitely impacts us, you know, it sure uh, does. <laughs> yeah. A, a walkout, a walkout or strike or a lockout, uh, man, that's devastating to us. So especially football, uh, and, and for you, especially, especially football. Um, after all, it's not Harris cricket. It's Harris football. <laughs> I, I'm pivot. I got the pivot ready. It's in my holster. <laughs> okay. HarrisRugby.com. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's closer. At least, uh, the other, uh, holdout situation, Melvin Gordon, uh, <laughs> contrasting notes here. Uh, the latest update, like ESPN.com's Eric Williams suggests that he will, that will get done by week one. Ian Rappaport says it won't be. I, I don't know what to believe. What, what's your thought on this? I mean, I don't know how it's any different, really. The yep. only difference is that it's a more reasonable price because Zeke is still going to go in almost every first round. And there's no, you know, Gordon might, if he were complete, if he'd been there the whole time and had a healthy summer and he might have been a late first round pick. Cause I think he's, I'm one of the people who considers him to be not at the super elite level, but but that next stop step down, I think he's a very good player yeah. and and he's not going to go until the third or the fourth round earliest in drafts. And I bet there'll be somewhere less longer than that. And I don't know why we would think it would be any different. I, I said earlier, you know, Zeke is nominally two years away from free agency. So he's, he's definitely not playing for free agency. And I guess people are still making the argument. Well, Gordon comes back week eight because he has to get that service time to get to free agency at the end of this year. And my response to that is the chargers can just franchise him. It makes great sense. It's the Le'Veon Bell strategy. Yeah. So I, I don't know that Gordon is any closer to free agency either. I think he's also holding out for a trade or a new contract. And so I don't know. The only difference to me really is Gordon isn't as transcendent a player, even though he is good and that the price is some would still argue not reasonable, but it's definitely more reasonable. Yeah. So the only league where I have Gordon is the very first draft. I, well, I did a couple of uh, best balls, but first uh, like season long draft with moves is the Scott fishbowl uh, in July. Sure. And yeah, July first. Yeah. the day after I picked Gordon is the day they came out that, oh yeah, this is a real holdout and you know, it, it doesn't look good. Before that, it was like, okay, he's unsigned. He wants a new deal. Okay, fine. And maybe I should read those tea leaves a little bit more closely next time. But, yeah, here I am, left holding that bag. And it was actually after Eckler had already gone, too, which is even fun, oh. more, more fun. Good times. But Yeah, <laughs> interesting. I So in my fish, my part of the fishbowl, I also picked two. Apparently, I picked two in every draft. It's sort of in my contract whenever somebody's going to pay the big dollars to get me sure. in, a, in a mock draft or in a league or like on a podcast. Like, as you know, the Rotowire budget was really burst to get me on this show. Uh, I always pick two, apparently. And in that one, they took Zeke number one because that was way before Zeke was being taken seriously. So once again, I lucked into Berkeley. Nice. There you go. Uh, it's always nice to have that there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep sweating that out. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things I I am going to have to learn more about each contract situation in the off season. And that seems like a lot of fun to do, but uh, here we are. <laughs> Put your lawyer hat on. <laughs> exactly. And now a quick note from our sponsor, fantasy football evolution. Fantasy football evolution is back for 2019 and better than ever. 
You spoke, and we listened. We've added mock drafting, moved the championship final to NFL Week 16, and made setting up a private competition a snap. Join FFE and play the game you love as it was meant to be played. FFE's unique three-stage format delivers the best of season-long fantasy football without the never-ending drafts or late-season absentee owner and waiver-wire antics that can develop in traditional leagues. Play as an individual or be the commissioner of your own private league. You'll get 16 weeks of action for just $25. You could be the next FFE $25,000 champion. Maximize your chances by owning multiple teams. Optional auto-draft and lineup assist can help you manage them with ease. It's all here. What are you waiting for? Register now at FantasyFootballEvolution.com and join the evolution. Availability varies by state. Visit FantasyFootballEvolution.com. We're here with Chris Harris of Harris Football, and we've covered the news of the day. Let's go ahead and start talking instead about what you do on a regular basis, uh, Chris, because I, I think this is the bread and butter of what you do. Uh, your, your mantra is film doesn't lie. Uh, you have created a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Harris. Let me get it right. Let me make sure I get the right URL for that so people can check it out. But it's youtube.com slash Harris football. That was easy right. enough. Uh, and it's fantastic. I work here and I, I look at it and you put a lot of time putting this film out there and all that. How do you go about your business? And without like giving all the way a secret sauce, but like, you know, getting a lot of good production value out of this, as opposed to just talking, uh, you getting you know, highlighting the videos, uh, going about doing this and producing it, this content. It's really mm-hmm. good work for fantasy fit players. Thanks. Um, so I, so the podcast I do on my own, I don't have a production team. It's pretty easy to make a podcast by right. yourself. So I just have always done that. I'm in year, I'm entering year five of doing the show on my own since I left ESPN. Uh, but it's much harder to do that on YouTube. So I have two, uh, video producers, the Daves, as I like to call them, Hewitt and Piper. They're, uh, originally fans of the podcast who I became various ways associated with and now friends with, and they do. So I write them, I pick the plays, I figure out what we want to say. And and then I go, I throw it over the wall and I go, make it happen guys. And they do a great job. And those videos turn out to be really, really good. Um, the, the hope is that the channel takes off in a way that a podcast, you know, it's like a good companion piece to a podcast, especially my podcast, because as much as I want to say film, don't lie as much as I want to say, listen, I'm going to tell you why Joe Mixon looks different. I'm going to tell you why I'm an early adopter, early adopter on George Kittle. I'm going to tell you why I think Alex Collins is crummy. I can just say it right. And, and in the end, it is still my opinion. It's based on stuff I've observed, but if I can actually show it to you on a YouTube channel, you might disagree. You might look and go, man, I don't know. I think he looks okay to me. Or I think that maybe he's a little exaggerated, but at least then we're developing opinions based on exactly what they look like, uh, which to me is, you know, all the stat stuff, all the metrics, everything like that. Y- useful to a point. I think very, very useful to describe what happened in football. I'm not sure how much I believe that there's a lot of metrics out there that predict what are going to happen. We can talk about why in a second, but I, you know, the th- I recognize that situations matter. I recognize that what you think of the offensive game plan might be is going to matter. It turns out we're wrong a lot of the time in that case. Right. What I, what I want to keep foremost in my mind, not only in my mind, but foremost in my mind is the abilities of the players themselves. Right. And I think, I think that's great. And, you know, we even talk about schemes and, you know, seeing, okay, they lined them up in this game. They used this personnel here. Uh, and you're, you're right that it's even then, it's backward looking, you know, and in the case in the, 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 I think the most obvious example is the Pats, 
you know, Belichick cooks up something different every week, it seems like. And it's mm-hmm. he has a tailored game plan for his opponent, such to the point that often the opponent doesn't know what's coming. Absolutely. And that, that, I mean, that'll vex us in season. That's why you get the, you know, you're a Sonny Michelle drafter and you get the James White game right in your eye and you're like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> Fantastic. I, I think especially now, you know, we're at the tail end of draft season, but there's still plenty of drafts happening over Labor Day weekend. A lot of the rationalizations and justifications that we make for why we like and don't like players are so much based on like, we're so willing to just say Arizona's offense is going to be a wagon. It's going to be, wow, they're going to throw so much. And I, there's no way Kyler Murray can fail. And well, yeah, there is yeah. <laughs> <There's> absolutely <laughs> a way that Kyler Murray could fail. And I think it's funny that a, a team with an over under win total of five, which could be completely wrong, uh, is getting so much confidence in its quarterback and a lot of its skill weapons. And meanwhile, uh, teams like Miami and Washington and Cincinnati are, are just, no, they're, they're, they're death Valley. Those te- don't, you know, those teams are going to be bad. Well, I mean, I think I may have even said this to you on my show when you were on on Monday, but looking back at the over under win totals from Vegas from last year, the Browns five, that was the number was five. Mm -hmm. And that was why you couldn't draft Carlos Hyde and and Nick Chubb. And I wanted you to draft both because I didn't know if the Browns were going to be bad, right? The bears number was five and a half. So that's why you can't draft any bears, not interested. And of course they go on to win their division and be a really good offense and be good. And it's not like they get everyone wrong, but there's enough noise in there where you go, man, if that's your main justification for drafting a player, I think you need a different justification. Right. I I think that's a great point. Now I'm a self-hating Bengals fan, so I have other justifications. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that that offensive line is going to be terrible. Uh, there, there's, and, you know, the small evidence that we have seen so far in the preseason kind of pushes in that direction, but at least from a run blocking standpoint so far. Uh, but, you know, things change, you know, and the preseason is largely worthless in terms of like looking yeah. at results. Uh, I remember Andy Dalton, A.J. Green's rookie year. You know, they, they go up to Detroit, play a game, and Dominica Sue body slams Andy Dalton. It, the Bengals looked like not just that they were bad, but special bad. They looked like they were going to be one and fifteen or two and fourteen. They made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. So Brett Brett Coleman is a is a friend of mine who comes on my podcast and who has a really big YouTube show looking at film. Okay. And I had Brett I had Brett on my show a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how we both just Joe Mixon is just a different kind of special as a player and how, you know, how bad, and actually I had Ross Tucker on earlier that week. And he said, I'm really worried about the Bengals offensive line, just like, like you would be. And right. Bre- for whatever, you know, you're a Bengal fan. So take, take this with a grain of salt. But, but Brett said, you know, I think they can cobble together one half of a good offensive line. I don't think the right side's going to be good. I think they'll figure out a way to get the left side in shape. And that's really all they had last year. And it's really all a good running back needs because you can run all this, you know, you can run all the complicated stuff to the left side, Mm-hmm. And, and at least get by and let the talent of the running back take over. And then the right side, well, it's probably a mess, but you get to run counter in that direction or you can run bounce out to that direction or, you know, you can, you're not going to run a lot of power sweeps to the right side, but you can, you can play off the expectation that you're going left. Uh, so take heart. I think Mixon will be okay. Okay. Well, there you go. That's good. Um, I, I watched your uh, five bust video t- uh, this morning. Uh, good one there. And I like it, too, because you have some non-obvious guys. In fact, in, in one case, you have an extreme helium guy in Chris Godwin, uh, who is 
everybody's darling. I, I you know, yeah. I think at the time you recorded it, you were saying that, okay, this guy's solid fourth round. You're kind of having problems with that price. Well, guess what? He's now a third round guy. <laughs> and I think you in should. In some places, like Fantasy Football Calculator, I just looked, he's still, at least in non-PPR, he's still fourth. Let's see what he's in PPR. Right. And I, I'm kind of going based off the, uh, the NFFC, which is a okay. PPR contest. Right now in the last week, that's 43 uh, drafts. Uh, and I, I liked it because it's people skin in the game, paying some money for it and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. He comes in 32. Whoa. He's 41 on fantasy football calculator for wherever that's worth. But either yeah. price is too high, too high for me. Um, here's the thing. I hate, I hate uh, being like a voice of contrarianism on a player. I think is pretty darn good. I think I said that in the video right. too. You did. I think he's a good player. I just don't know where this incredible enthusiasm is coming from. Where now we're taking two Tampa Bay Buccaneer wide receivers in the first three rounds. Have, do we know who the quarterback is there? I, right. I, like, I'm really excited for the time when like broken Blaine Gabbert is the quarterback for these guys, because I kind of think that's coming. I mean, nothing in Jameis Winston's life has told me that he's a stable human being or that he's capable of not throwing, you know, Bruce Arians is going to love that when he throws eight interceptions in a game. <laughs> um, I think the larger point is so Matt Harmon, friend of mine, I know how much Matt Harmon loves Godwin's film and thinks he wins at every level. And I don't see him. I see him as like pretty good at everything. I see him as like a really good split end in the league, the traditional sort of Reggie Wayne to Marvin Harrison sort of split end where, I mean, Reggie Wayne's a hall of fame player in and of himself. So that's not really the skill comparison that I'm making, but the, let's say the, who are the pure twos in this league? Like Marvin Jones, like Marvin Jones is like the walking embodiment of a two. He, you would never want to build a passing offense around him, but Mm -hmm. as a, as a, as another weapon in a good offense, it could really take off and be terrific. Um, uh, the, the actual comparison that I have that I think I said in that particular video is Pierre Garçon, like early career, Pierre Garçon, right? Like, same size. Like people, do people have this sense that Goodwin is some like six Allen Robinson? Cause he went to Penn state. They're similarly sized. Like they're not right. And, and he's fast. I wouldn't say he's the fastest. He's definitely really strong and tough. I wouldn't say he's like impossible to shake. I, I don't know. He just seems like he's good and people are calling him great before he's ever really done anything. And it seems to me that a lot of that is about falling in love with circumstance, deciding yes. that, that offense can't be stopped, that they're going to throw like crazy, that Bruce Arians made Larry Fitzgerald a superstar out of the slot. Although, you know, Fitzgerald was already pretty good. Um, and that no Deshaun Jackson means so many more targets and therefore just let's do a prediction. How is he not getting 110 targets? There's a world where I'm wrong, but man, to draft Chris Godwin in the third round is, uh, you know, you never love saying that what's the percent chance that he has the best possible season and, and let's drop, let's draft him at that percent chance. The phrase I hear a lot is pricing in the upside that you're, you're, you're really, you're, there is a tangible upside above that, but it's so tiny sliver of a chance he achieves that at, at the price you're paying. It's really not a good value pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think anybody who would take Godwin in the third or fourth round would admit they're not looking for value. You know, you're basically saying he's already Stefan Diggs. He's already Keenan Allen. He's already Brandon Cooks. He's already Robert Woods. He mm-hmm. just is those guys already. I don't know. I, when I watch him play, I see something different than Harmon does. And so we just accept that we were good buddies and we disagree on the player. And I just don't see like superstar. 
I don't see superstar. I, you know, I, I, if you're going to ask me whose career I like better between Godwin and like DJ Moore, I like DJ Moore career. I think I like DJ Moore's career better. Um, I recognize that as a minority opinion and I am willing to own that for the moment. I do like though, your emphasis on looking at the player skills, looking at what he can do instead of just the situation. I mean, we all, we are all happy that uh, the bucks were spared the cutter uh, and we don't have him anymore, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean, and they still have tons of people to go around to. They still have OJ Howard. They, you know, Peyton Barber has a lot of limitations as a back, but they're going to throw to him a little bit. They still have Brait. They signed him to that deal. Um, he's still there. You know, they. It, it's not like it's just these two guys on an island. They're going to get all the targets. It's not this super narrow tree. And and even if he's a pure two and do the pure two's typical target total, which really typically isn't 100 targets, Right. this is the offense that you're going to – like say, oh God, I really, really want the second receiver in the third round. <laughs> like, I just, that's where we, that's where you lose me. There, there are a few situations that I am not, I'm like I said, I'm not completely inured to the idea that situations are a very important and also be, you know, to some degree knowable going into the season. Like, am I valuing chiefs running backs a little higher than I might if they weren't on the chiefs? Yup. Am I valuing Rams receivers a little higher than I might if they weren't on the Rams? Yup. I just don't want to go down the road. Like how far down the list of sure things do I need to get to where I go? Jameis Winston, definitely going to produce two great fantasy receivers. Right. I feel like I'd be on like the fifth page on my list. Exactly. And there are no more lists after that, but uh, yeah, I hear on that. Also on that, that video, uh, James Conner uh, for the price again, right, uh, for, the price. for the price, for the skills. I judging from our conversation in your, you would, if put to the test, you would take Mixon ahead of Conner. I'm guessing. Yes. Mixing ahead of Connor. I would, um, I don't think it's like, a, I don't think it's, I think the, my, my point in getting Connor where I got him on in the, on that bust video where, you know, I have him 17 right. in standard leagues. So it's not like I'm trying to say he's going to be a, sorry, he's only good in the sixth round. Right. But I have mixing 10 in the standard league. So do I think it's outrageous if someone has the alternate opinion? I absolutely don't. We are, and, and, and I mentioned those situations that I am willing to kind of put a little bit of faith in before sight unseen. I mean, the Steelers offensive line obviously must be one of those because yeah. I don't know that anybody's rationalization for James Conner as a first round pick involves loving James Conner. A lot of it is just like, well, he has the right skill set to score a bunch of touchdowns. He's pretty good. He's a big guy, but that line, that attack, right. that offense, they emphasize the, the number one running back so much. And we've, he himself was really good in a substitute role last year. Like we do a lot of talking about situation when it comes to Connor, but if we put him in Miami, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be a first round pick nor, nor would, and yet nor would it, nor would I have him in the second round. So I'm not meaning to be a hypocrite at all. I am considering that situation, a big positive for Connor, probably just not quite as big a positive as the market is to make him a first round pick in all formats because there's a, there's a world, there's an X percent chance where I mean, at some point the Steeler offensive line won't be great. At some point the offense is going to suffer because it has a brain drain and no Antonio Brown affects the offense. And so, so I don't know that that X percent is being factored in. If you're going to consider Connor a, a late first round pick. Yeah. And I, and I like that you're pointing out, you're not dogmatic, you know, you know, the situation matters. It's just the emphasis on that said situation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to make talent matter the most in my assessment of a player, but in like Damian Williams's case, 
It's probably not true. I think Damian Williams is a better than people think kind of running back, not just some doofus off the street. But of course, if he were the starting running back in Tennessee, I'd be like, well, you know, let's right. fourth round, fifth round, sixth round. I'm st- you know, now I'm sixth, seventh. That's where I'm starting to get comfortable. Whereas, of course, I recognize a lot of the appeal there is Kansas City. Absolutely. And now a quick note from our friends at Sports Predictor. The team of professional bettors at SportsPredictor.com are an elite group of long-term winners. They're here to help you beat your bookie. One, they win. The entire team at Sports Predictor have a proven profitable edge. Two, they're data-driven. They use predictive sports models to consistently find value. Three, they're honest and transparent. Every pick for every capper every day is published on their website. Four, subscribers are limited. Every Sports Predictor package has a subscriber limit, and when that number is hit, it is closed to new members. Five, they educate betters. With informative articles and the Sports Predictor podcast to help you learn from professionals. Choose a professional handicapping service that operates with integrity and a winning edge. Choose sportspredictor.com. We're with Chris Harris from Harris Football. Uh, I'm Jeff Erickson, of course, uh, on the Rotowire podcast. And we've been talking about uh, some of the, his observations from film work. And I want to dig a little bit deeper, Chris, and how you trained your eye to get into this in the first place. Tell everybody, how did you get into producing content for fantasy football. So, I mean, like pre, you mean pre ESPN days? Or like yeah, pre ESPN, how you got to ESPN and, and like right, when right. did you start really emphasizing uh, film work, all that? Yeah, definitely got into fantasy, not emphasizing film work, got into right. fantasy right after I finished, I got a creative writing degree, master's in creative writing. And, uh, they call that a terminal degree for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot you can do with it. Uh, fortunately, I've now subsequently gotten the chance to publish some novels, which is cool, um, but I don't make a living off of it. So uh, I found this uh, – I found – actually, it's Matt Berry's website, talentofmrroto.com, and I was uh, I won a contest for that website. And within like six months of winning that contest, Brandon Funston at Yahoo hired me to work at Yahoo. And then Matt went to ESPN and Matt hired me at ESPN to become part of that sort of original crew, 2007, I, something like that. Eight. Okay. I don't remember. And, um, so I, so I, that's when I started doing ESPN. It was really fun. Got to do a ton of TV. It was cool. I wasn't really, didn't have the mindset of, I want to be the film guy at that point. I just had the, I was covering lots of sports. I was covering baseball. I was covering football. I was covering NASCAR. Um, fantasy for all. I was part of the original cast of NASCAR yeah. now on ESPN. That's amazing. Uh, I know. I am. You and Del Scott Dare. Angle hanging out there. No, uh, Scott Angle wasn't on it, but we were definitely at ESPN at the same time. I love Scott. Really yeah. good guy. Um, no, it was it was on TV. It would be me next to Dale Jarrett. Okay. Oh yeah. Let's go to Harris and talk about his picks. Um, some dude who goes fast. I didn't know a lot about NASCAR, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know the approach for baseball was and and I really may have even auditioned for baseball I can't remember but anyway the you know the approach for baseball is just so different the numbers are predictive it's just so it's much there's so much data and even then there was so much data it was like that's when fan graphs and stuff were really first getting going so right. they were being introduced to batting average on balls in play and all of these stats that would kind of uh, let, let us cherry pick dudes who we thought were good trade acquisitions or good waiver acquisitions. It just felt like a very logical, I'm a very logical person. I would love for everything just be laid out. Oh, I can tell you that his, his Pocota number is this, you know, I can tell you that, that, that this 
driver runs this well on this track, you know, this kind of track, right. it's this, this, this sort, he's going to be a good, a better bet. Um, and then I got to football and it just wouldn't, there, it wouldn't adhere. There was no system that would allow me to gain an advantage. And so much so that I was the person who was having to do the season long projections for the ESPN game for years and years and years. I didn't do the weekly projections cause that'll really make your head spin. But even season long projections, of course I understand where they all come from. They're all coming from logical places, but in the end it simply amounts to a person sticking their finger in the wind and going 70% of the carries is going to that guy. Right. And just felt very capricious and arbitrary and we were wrong as much as we were right. And so I kind of started to gravitate towards, you know, I, I think I know what it looks like when someone is exceptional and maybe I didn't at the time, but I feel like I've got gotten better at it. Um, I mentioned Coleman, Brett Coleman earlier in the show, Brett and I last summer, uh, this is on my YouTube channel. We did a series called film. Don't lie university. Okay. So it's about, it's like 12 videos, maybe 15 minutes a piece, 20 minutes a piece where we just break down a skill. So it might be running back acceleration. It might be quarterback accuracy, the kinds of things that over the years, having watched as much film as we've watched that the things that stand out to us so that when we watch some random game, we go, Oh yeah, that reminds me of guys who were good. That remind that kind of reaction from a defender indicates that was quite a good move as opposed to nothing special. Um, so it just feels like, you know, now it's been 10 years of doing this, watching film. And I think if you do it long enough, you do start to kind of just recognize who the special guys are and who the guys who are, who are kind of situationally good, but aren't actually doing anything marvelous themselves. Um, and then also I just, there's a huge value in knowing that some Derek Henry touchdown was the result of some idiot falling down as opposed to him doing something good because you're really in the end, what we would love is to some indication. I wish it was statistical. It's usually not, but some kind of indication that the thing they just did that was good is repeatable. And for me, that has always been talent. Yeah. And I, I, it, we have so many more uh, resources at our disposal today too than we did in the past. Like you, you alluded to earlier, uh, you know, just you can watch the coach's film. You can watch just the replay of the game. You can watch it, a condensed re- replay of the game if you're time pressed. I mean, there, there's a lot of different things. And the thing is, like we all have, you know, a lot of us have Sunday ticket. Well, well, maybe we'll decide to hone in on a game or watch the Grid Channel or watch, or maybe you watch, uh, you know, you know, and Red Zone or something of that nature. You're it, people consume it different ways. But it's a lot better when you can see like play after play after play and see some, sometimes it's the mundane plays that are revelatory. True. Completely true. And I am like, I'm not that fun on Sunday. Like I have neighbors I'm in California now, but I, until recently was in Massachusetts pretty regularly for, for the actual season. And I have neighbors who'd be like, you do this for a living. Come on, we'll come over and watch the Patriots game with you. And I'm like, guys, it's, I'm not that fun. Yeah. I'm just sitting there taking notes and pausing the game. And like, no, it'll be a blast. We'll bring some beers. Like that was the only time they ever came over because I'm just yeah. not, I'm just watching and pausing and I'm always behind in the games. People are always like, why don't you live tweet the games? It's because I'm not live. I'm sitting there pausing and then writing down stuff and then pausing and writing down stuff. And then once the games are all over, I go into game pass and I just watch them all the way through uh, Sunday night. I make sure I've got half of them watched or so Monday morning. I'll watch a couple, I'll do a show. And then all Monday afternoon, I'm watching all the rest of the games for Tuesday's show. And essentially that's what it boils down to. Like people love those Monday and Tuesday shows just because it's me saying, okay, I know it looks great in the box score, but trust me when I tell you Derek Henry's run was nothing special. Right. Exactly. How long does it take you to get through a game? 
I would say I'm, I'm, I'm so memory deficient at this point that I don't really remember because it's been a while uh-huh. <laughs> that I've had to go through a whole game since last since week 16 of last year. Right. Um, probably somewhere between a half an hour and an hour. So I'm not putting up with any announcer talk. I'm not putting up with any analysis. It's just like next play, next play. I use that fast forward 30 button quite a bit on Game Pass. Nice. Nice. I'll often watch the condensed version uh, on Game Pass. Like I'll, I'll just like where they kind of skip, you know, skip to the next snap pretty much. Every once in a while, you'll see a replay. Only time is sometimes you miss out on like an injury note or something of that nature. Then I'll have to go back and like, okay, well, I got to see the extended version here and see what really happened. Yeah. I mean, so I, when I watch on Sunday night, there's no condensed version and there's no coaches film. So I'm, I'm really only, I have to watch the broadcast for yeah. every game all the way through once I'm never really getting to, this is true on the, um, on the YouTube channel too. I'm never really getting to the coaches stuff until it usually is up Tuesday late. Right. So usually Monday and Tuesday, we don't have press box angles to show stuff, which is a bummer, but once it's up there, it's so useless. I mean, it's so useful. It's not useful. Yeah, 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 yeah. slip. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you on all that. Um, do you find that there is there like a time when you sometimes find like your eye can deceive you? Or are you pretty good at this point now being able to filter out your own noise or filtering out your own biases when you're watching it? I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure I'm not capable of filtering out my own bias. It's impossible. It's a very right. subjective thing. True. Um, I'm sure I come into every game skeptical of the player that I've said bad stuff about all through August. And I have to be, con- have my arm turned behind sure. my back and Absolutely. Me. I'm sure that's true. I try to be as objective as possible. I try not to hold any opinion too dear, but I certainly, you know, there's some pride on the line, you know, this, and, and I had a very good year with sort of my bolder calls last year. It felt like almost the best year I've ever had, uh, in terms of, getting a lot of those right. And I know this year I'm not going to, it's just not possible. Like you're going to be wrong about some stuff. Like you're going to have just decided Chris Godwin was Pierre Garcon when in fact he was, he was waiting to be Reggie Wayne. Right. And, right. and then I'll, but hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to, I don't really take it so seriously that I can't go, no, you guys wait, he's going to stink in four, four weeks. I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find that my, one of my holes in my game is if I'm convinced a team is, should be doing something differently or using a different player in a certain role, all that. I, I stick to that almost in uh, to excess when the reality is that the team is still going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, like it's, we have such a better sense of situations once they start playing games, it's right. not like situations don't matter. Once we actually see what they're up to, the way they're going to p- deploy guys, the way they plan stuff, the pace at which they run plays, the amount they run, all that stuff that we think we know in August, uh, becomes true, becomes manifest in September. And yet we still, if we decided that Seattle wasn't going to be so much of a running team and we get one game where they are pretty running heavy, you still want to go, yeah, but that was one game. We'll see. We'll see. And then eventually, yeah, eventually you sort of have to go. Yeah, that was probably not a great take. Exactly. Uh, rookies, do you find it difficult to evaluate them with uh, maybe less video available? Oh, so difficult. Yeah, I, I'm the first one to admit I'm not a college scout. Uh, I do my due diligence once the season is long over. I'll, I'll catch a couple of college games along the way, but I'm much, much more relying on film after the fact and – I often don't really feel like I know what I'm looking at. We, you know, they all look great when they're, I call them the future gym teachers of America, you know, the, right. the opponents, uh, the, you know, the, uh, like future dry cleaners of America, whatever you want to call them. Sure. Um, 
everybody looks good running against non-athletes when you're an, an NFL level athlete. And so it is tough for me. It's tough. I'm, I tend to be lower on rookies. I tend to think if there are a lot of options, Kyler Murray, that I have a lot of upside as much upside as anybody. And they've done it before in the NFL. I just would never pay a premium for a rookie. Right. Running back is running back is maybe right. a little bit of an exception uh, because there's just so much scarcity and and someone like Josh Jacobs, uh, I just loved him at, at the end of the year in Alabama. So I go, oh, I, I'm letting some emotion <laughs> creep into the Josh Jacobs ranking. I really like him. I'm not a I'm not higher on than the market, but a lot of times I find I'm lower on rookies than the market. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, especially at wide receiver and tight end. Uh, there's so many other variables at work, not just his talent, but it's also adjusting the scheme, adjusting to higher level of opponent. I, I, and it's just usually, I mean, I think we all see it. We've anybody who's been in our industry for a while has seen that it's very rare to have that rookie that really contributes right away. So, so toughest one, toughest thing for me is uh, dynasty leagues and trying to, you know, evaluate that talent for NFL level and all that. And certainly comparing it versus the pool. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, we're all so sure Nikhil Harry is like the third pick in a, in a dynasty draft when he gets drafted. I wasn't, but a lot of right. people loved, loved, loved him and just said, well, the landing spot, you can't beat it. He's he number three. And then you turned around and it's, you know, the end of August and is he even a first round pick anymore. I'm not sure. So I, in a rookie draft, I mean like right. the, the, you know, I get it. This is the only way to get noticed these days in this media. And I, I aged out of this. I came along before you had to be this way, but you have to be the most strident. You have to be the most sure <laughs> of your opinion. And, uh, I, I don't, I rarely find myself with, with Saquon Barkley. I did, but with most rookies, I don't find myself like so sure that someone can or can't play until I actually see them play in the NFL. I, I agree with that take. And now a note from our title sponsor, Yahoo fantasy sports. Yahoo has officially released their Week 1 Daily Fantasy Football Contest. They have a $1 million contest for Week 1 with no management fee and $100,000 in first place, meaning more money goes back to you, the players. 10 entry max. You're not going to be playing against people with 150 lineups like on other sites. Yahoo also has a $100,000 guaranteed contest, so there are lots of prizes out there for Week 1. If you're just getting started with Daily Fantasy Football, join the free-to-enter Yahoo Cup and play all season long. $150,000 in weekly and season-long prizes, and if you get a perfect lineup, you win $1 million. Get started now at yahoo.com. And we, one last segment here. Uh, I'm Jeff Harrison here with Chris Harris of Harris Football. We got people. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Chris, about a couple of players that you uh, get from your observations. They're kind of hot-button players, at least in the leagues that I've been in. They a lot of people have been talking a lot about them, whether it's in my Twitter sphere or in my leagues. I've seen some helium on them. Want to get your take? And I have a couple of user uh, listener questions as well. So let's do a little rapid fire here. I want to start off with Lamar Jackson, a guy that has ha- ha- started off as like QB twenty, and now I've seen him go as high as like QB eight to ten now. It's too high for me, but of course I understand it. Uh, literally just released a Lamar Jackson video. Um, as of, as of Wednesday, I think, I think that's right. I think it's, yeah. So people will be able to see my take. Um, the throwing accuracy problems are just so real and scary and, and may, unless he's gotten way better and it's just a hard thing to teach somebody when he's at the age he's at now, like he, of course he might be the best running quarterback in the league. I get what the upside is, but you know, Vince young was a really good running quarterback too. Like you need to be able to throw also. And, uh, so I, I'm probably not there as a fantasy starter though. Of course I understand what the ceiling is. Yeah. Um, Chris Carson, there's some talk about him catching passes now this uh, this season and in, in the preseason. 
I've seen him go up to the third round after beginning of the year in the fifth round. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't I don't think he's a good enough player to justify it. Um, I think there's a, a lot of the quote unquote helium involved with that rank is Seattle's a running team. Don't you know that? Don't you know that they're going to run this many times? Don't you know? It's the situation, dummy. Like, I, again, I don't think we know that stuff beforehand. I suspect they're fairly run heavy, but not necessarily exactly in the same proportions as last year. Doug Baldwin got hurt. They didn't have any receivers they trusted. Hopefully they've kind of accounted for that. So hopefully it is a little bit more, it already was balanced. Hopefully it's a little less balanced in the direction of passing. Right. um, I think Carson is fine. I think he's a workman. Like I said this to Brandon Funston, who's a Seahawks fan on his show. Right. Uh, And I said, you know, my comparison for him is he's a Jordan, like a better, Jordan Howard, a better Peyton Barber. And, and like there was five seconds of silence. He was so mad. I must cut you. He did not agree. (laughs) Yeah. He he did not agree with my assessment of Carson. Carson is like a really tough dude, like a, a a medium sized back who runs like a giant back who wants to punish people, you know, just a vicious runner. Love that. Love the effort. You're never getting any, he's not dogging anything. Um, I'm not telling you Rashad Penny is definitely going to play, but if he doesn't, what a bad pick that was in year two. Um, yeah, I think it's too, that would be too rich for my blood. And if, if Chris Carson's quote unquote, now a pass catcher, it's going to be the way Nick Chubb was a pass catcher last year. You mm-hmm. know, it's going to be a bunch of dump offs. He's not going to be out there running a lot of complicated routes and making big plays. No, I agree. He's no Duke Johnson out there. That's for sure. Who, by the way, leads off. Uh, it's like the lead video uh, demonstrates what you do on harrisfootball.com. So speaking of Duke Johnson, Big bump in stock after the Lamar Miller injury. He's going higher than where the Miller, Miller was going himself before his injury. Uh, where are you on Duke Johnson in PPR leagues or in standard? Probably right around the same spot. Like if you're late fourth, early fifth, I actually can see taking the plunge on Duke Johnson. I'm assuming maybe even by the time one of your listeners is listening to this show, we're going to have someone else on that Houston depth chart. They'll get someone. Yeah, it's, I don't. I think it'd be really, really self-destructive to go into the year with some undrafted rookie free agents and Duke Johnson as your backfield. That in, in a year where you think you have playoff aspirations, um, and yet that's not going to change my mind because the player that's going to come in is not going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be Carlos Hyde. It's going to be Lashawn McCoy. It's going to be Jay Ajayi. It's going to be Jeremy Hill. It's going to be you know someone like that, who is fine but not dominant and shouldn't mm-hmm. take away a lot of what Duke does. Um, Certainly always felt like he was Duke Johnson's a better player in Cleveland than they ever really let him show. I agree. I also don't know that he's really 210 pounds. And if he is, if he really runs like it to me, he runs like Dion Lewis as a smaller back who like, you're like, Ooh, okay. Some nice work between the tackles. Ooh, wouldn't want to see him get hit like that all the time, but sure. Pretty good. And so therefore, you know, not just James white, a lot better football player than James white, but probably in my mind, you know, if you're wanting to give him 250 touches, you're probably asking for trouble. He's never had, I don't think more than 200. I, I think he has, I can't remember what this stat is in 64 career games. Cause it's four seasons and he's not missed a game. I think he has four games of double digit carries and none of them more than 13. Right. So it's t- Of course that could be mismanagement by the Browns. And all this time he was waiting to be a 20 carry per game guy. I, I am. I tend to shy away from wanting to use smaller running backs like that. I'd much rather get 200 touches out of Duke Johnson at when he doesn't get hurt, where he's kind of at a higher per play efficiency than 275, where he's getting the crap beaten out of him and he winds up missing two games. Exactly. Um, and and let's so face like, it, the standard of you know 250 carries or 250 touches in in his case, 
I mean, no one makes that. I mean, har- hardly any backs make that. There was only, uh, I think, what, 14 backs that had 200 touches last year? I, yeah. It's not hard for him at 175 to 200 touches to be worth it. I have Carson one spot ahead of Duke Johnson, both in standard and PPR. So obviously I'm not getting Carson and I might get Duke Johnson. There you go. Um, Mike Williams. Some people say he's too soon and some in the fifth round. Some people say he's too late in the fifth round. Uh, a lot of the argument of Mike Williams is touchdown base. It's situational base. What do you see in the talent when you look at the film on Mike Williams? It seems to me that he fits what you want from a fantasy receiver and the whole touchdown regression thing presupposes that the catch total stays the same. I think the touchdown total can stay the same and the catches just go up and therefore it isn't a touchdown regression. It's just a touchdown per reception regression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm on the pro side of that, of that draft position. I'm cool with Mike Williams going there. I, again, I wouldn't get up on the table and, and say, you're crazy. If you have him in the sixth round, you're just crazy. Like, no, there's a lot of receivers that probably are in the same neighborhood. And if you have a preference, then that's cool. Um, I have him rated ahead of Godwin forever. That's worth he, He's Vincent Jackson. Okay. You know, they have a type it's he's Tyrell Williams, frankly, they, you know, they have, they have not that, uh, agile, but very big. And for how big they are, very fast, good end zone weapons. Like that's a type that I understand how the chargers like that and use that. And kind of a, I mean, maybe a better, uh, compliment to Keenan Allen is Tyler Lockett. You know, it's just someone who's a total unbelievable burner, but that's not what they have. They seem to, I think as a compliment, in a, in a way you're going to kind of scheme out what a pat, what a passing game is. Maybe they have that in Travis Benjamin a little bit, but, um, Mike Williams seems like a really good compliment to Keenan Allen. They should be able to kind of get each other open. Indeed. Um, a couple of, uh, the listener questions have kind of been preempted by our conversation. Corky was asking about where you got Jay Ajay if he pairs with Duke. Uh, I mean, Jai, we don't know what he's got left on the table after coming back from an injury. Uh, would you, where would you be on Ajay if he comes back? Such a good question. If he signs with the Texans, I'm still going to have Duke Johnson higher because I just don't know what's left in the knee. But Ajay, I think Ajay might be in a deep... I'm doing a 16-team league uh, draft this Saturday. Ajay is going to go in that draft, and he yeah. should. Should he go in a 12-teamer? I mean, I, it would be completely excusable if you did it and just held and saw what happened. But it would be tough for me to... If I already knew that he'd sign somewhere to say, oh, now he's a fifth-round pick, like, I probably don't think I can do that because I don't know what's what's left. Right. Seth asks, Geronimo Allison versus MVS. How do they compare on film? Oh, do, are they two separate people? It feels, <laughs> like, it feels like maybe they're the same person. Um, they're pretty cl- They're pretty similar. I have them ranked very similarly. Uh, and and skills-wise, MVS is faster. And Allison is probably maybe a little more maneuverable, a little, a little bit better route runner. I didn't think MVS came in being able to run routes real great. If I have a slight preference, I guess it's MVS because of the speed factor. And yet, you know, is he, he's probably as fast as Devonte Adams. He's not faster. So I don't know, you know, if you're going to go down the field, it seems like a lot of the time you're going to want to go to Adams anyway. Right. You can make, you could just as easily make the argument for if it's true that Allison will be this slot machine, which it probably isn't true because they're going to run three wide and sometimes four wide out there. And who cares in the slot and who's in the slot in that case? Cause defense, it's not the same. It's three by one and who's in the slot doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, I, I view MVS as the faster and maybe slightly less maneuverable. Allison as maybe a little bit more savvy, but a little less physically gifted. All right. Very good. Finally, uh, Shakespeare asks, 
Uh, first time auction draft for people uh, for most people in my league, including himself. How's it going to go? Pretty open ended. It's yeah. going to be fun. It's exactly. Really fun, and it's going to take a long time. So just hunker down. It's going to take a few hours, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we did, we actually, you guys probably talk auction a fair amount on the show here and here and there. You work it right. in. In fact, yeah. I did an auction last night. I did the pentathlon, uh, part of the pentathlon that Derek Van Riper's putting together. Uh, it's a oh, one auction, funny. one best ball. Uh, we do a pick em contest. We do survivor. And I think we do either that's DFS awesome. or against the spread. It's great. It's great. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. The, um, yeah. So go ahead. So the, yeah, the auction part, like we actually, I had Scott Pianeski on a couple of weeks ago and we did a whole auction episode. So you definitely, I'm not going to give you as much good stuff for strategy as we did in, over the course of whatever, 20 minutes or half an hour on, on my podcast. But I'd say my overriding advice to first time auction people is just don't get locked into dollar values. You're yeah. going to see lists and it's going to say, this guy's a good price at $51, but if you go higher, that's a big mistake. And that's just not true. Dollar values are usually derived with fantasy point per dollar, as it were. And in the end, fantasy point projections are, to me, I said it already, they're just, they're based on a lot of guessing about work share. The problem is we just don't know what, how these guys will be deployed. So if you're buying into the dollar values that are given to you as hard and fast, they're fine for guidelines, but for hard and fast rules, if you're buying in, like that's the price, no more, then you're basically saying that projection is right. And I'm sure of it. And the fact is we're not usually sure of the projections. So what's going to happen in your auction is, you know, the first running back is going to go for a certain price and that the entire rest of the running back market will all completely pivot around that first price. And if that price is 50 and not 60, that's going to, everybody's going to look at that and go, no, I don't like him as much as that guy. I'm not going any higher than that. Uh, so that would be my main advice is like have a little flexibility when it comes to looking at your dollar list. Yeah, I'd agree. I would say if you're in a league where most people are new to the auction, expect uh, spending to be high early on. And I, I think I, I, I often say that in a league with a bunch of us that have been played a bunch of auctions before, sometimes the first two, three players on the shoot can be the best deals on the draft or in the auction. Yeah. Uh, in other leagues, you can get this huge spending on the top guys. And typically in a league full of first timers, the top guys nominate first guys nominate are also the top guys there. There's no one trying to sneak guys in. Uh, right, right. So, you know, it, it, but, you know, not, no auction is the same either, too. Uh, That's what's great about them. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and have some fun. Enjoy it. Don't get don't stress that it's going to take a long time. I mean, that's what you're here. I, I thought I, the, the complaint about like drafts taking too long or auctions taking too long. Why are we doing it? If, if it, you know, <laughs> have some fun. I never, I, yeah, I never, it never ceases to amaze me. I'm in leagues. We've been doing these leagues for 20 years. And at the end, people are still like, why is this taking you so long? I'm like, dude, what are you trying to get back to? <laughs> yeah. This is like the only time of year this happens. It's really fun. Especially in person, especially in person. I'm hanging out with my buddies. We're BSing or having a beverage or two, perhaps, especially uh, in a snake draft. Uh, but just have fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy your, enjoy your friend's company. Agreed. We'll leave on that note. Uh, Chris, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. I know we went pretty long here, but uh, I think we got a lot of good insights. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. And we'll keep uh, we'll keep exchanging appearances because uh, I respect your opinion a lot. It was really fun to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, So going to where do you want to direct people when, when they're going to Harris football? Oh, I mean, if you go to Harris football.com, it's all there. Uh, okay. So there's a, 
you know, it's, you can find the podcast you know, podcast, pretty big podcast. Like it's, it's everywhere you get podcasts and the YouTube channels on YouTube. And yeah, there's all sorts of ranks and stuff and whatever, but harrisable.com. All right. Check it all out. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. It's great stuff. Uh, thank you to Yahoo for sponsoring this podcast as they always do. And we'll be back again and at you tomorrow. Take care.